0: Welcome everybody to episode 12. No, 11. What? Is this 12 or 11? I think this might be 12. I think it's 12. That's that's the Zoom invite said we were 12. Episode 12 of the Rabbit Trails podcast coming at you live from, from Stockholm, Sweden, Uppsala, Sweden, and Granada, Spain. Granada, Spain. Uh, Garrick, how you doing, buddy?
1: I'm doing good. It's a nice day. Not too hot. Uh, not not cold but it's just a pretty day it's like california here right now
0: how much how much pork product have you had today you know i haven't had anything
1: uh today no are they going to
0: take your visa away
1: <laughs> they might if you don't you got got to get the ham quota you're under uh, a contractual obligation to, to work enough. in
0: pork at every I'm meal. On, i'm on.
1: <laughs> well you know galician beef is you know also oh, to eat and then you got seafood it's you know yeah lots of lots of seafood thing to behold.
0: Well, Garrick, we have a, uh, a fantastic uh, day ahead of us. We have one of my best friends in the whole world, a guy I have yeah. traversed all over the world with, Michael Medital, who at one point was my boss, and now I have the privilege of being his boss, and so I called him up and I made him come on the podcast today. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, Michael Medital and I go back to college, actually, to a random uh, no, we had badminton class together yeah. and There's michael didn't at a m there is badminton at a m and uh, <laughs> we michael didn 't like me uh, <laughs> i 'll let him tell that part of the story anyway, <laughs> so we traversed all over the world, followed each other to Central Asia and then North Africa, uh, among being a missionary extraordinaire an incredible guy Michael, a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, curiosity being one of the greatest mm-hmm. Uh, assets that a person can have, and I have never met a person more curious than Michael. Uh, he sharpens me in every way, and so without further ado, Michael all, welcome to the Rabbit Trails Podcast. You've hit the big yeah. time. Well, I'd also say on.
1: this will be fun. I'd also say I, I haven't. I've, only, I've met Michael two or three times, and I've always found found you, Michael, incredibly deep and profound.
0: And That's thoughtful. true. So, so this this is going to be this is going to be great.
1: This is going to be a great conversation. But the, the already the the quality of the podcast has shot up exponentially by having you. There once. you go. There I you mean, go. we
0: we could literally spend the, the entirety of this <laughs> podcast talking about all the ridiculous things that Michael and I have done together, which we will not do. But uh, Michael, yeah, welcome, buddy. Uh, it's good yeah, to see thanks. you. Good to hear your voice. How are, how are you all doing? Holding up in Stockholm?
2: We're great. Beautiful day. Uh, got to take the kids to the park a little bit this morning. So we're doing well. Doing well. You
0: you have you have two young kids so trips to the park are pretty much the highlight of life.
2: Yes for all of us because right. uh there's less management of the kids at the park than in the, a little apartment. So yeah, right. we love it.
0: That is correct. Well man, thanks for thanks for joining us. Um anything you wanted to add to my brief biography of of who you are? You you have been overseas now is it almost 20 years is that correct? Cuz you spent time yeah so 20 in East Asia before is, that.
2: Yeah. So this summer it's 19 years. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. How would you say that you, what is the biggest way in which you have changed in those 19 years?
2: Oh, I, got some what well, is well, I guess, major I guess, way. I, yeah, I think explicitly from being overseas. Um, I think everything from how I, I my identity to how I see, uh, scripture and the gospel has changed. I I often tell people that even though I have a master's degree from the seminary, I've learned more theology sitting down across from people who don't hold my beliefs and question things that I say to them. Cause it's easy to sit there and kind of have in your mind, Oh, this is what I think. This is what I believe. And when someone says, well, wait a minute, that kind of sounds a little bit odd or that doesn't sound like something be true. And you have to kind of think through and explain it to them. So I think those are some things, but Gosh, I mean, so much has happened besides being overseas—getting married, having kids. I mean, it's been a, it's been a long, uh, in good twenty years. But yeah, I think it's I think with being overseas, or something about um, living outside of a culture that you are habituated to—that you're on cruise control and just having to to rethink a lot.
0: Yeah. You know? Yeah. What do you, What do you What do you mean by that? And for sparks, yeah. Sparse so. That out so, um everything
2: from even I, you and I actually barely talked about this the other day, but um before I went overseas, especially Central Asia, I probably had this default idea that the church I went to in college, well, this is just the universal church, this is how things are done um, right. and just certain norms that we do, which are great, like quiet times uh it's a great thing, but going to Central Asia and seeing, hey, church can look like people sitting around a a table on the floor and having a meal together, and then someone getting out the Bible and talking about it, and as a group, you talk about it, and then you pray, and that's it. Um, So little things like that just helping me to see that we can be more creative, and we can also see that uh, God's given us a lot of freedom in how we express our, our worship with him.
0: It's it's funny you should mention the you know church in Central Asia and and everything else. Just as as we get started here, um, for those who have listened to the first eleven episodes, they may notice that anything wise that comes out of my mouth, Michael has already said because I probably <laughs> stole it from Michael to begin with. But um, yeah, I think I think one of the things, and you and I have talked about this a ton over various uh, types of drinks all over the world, but how much being in an overseas context the bible opens up to you in in new uh, ways and deeper ways than you ever expected central asia being i think of course was our first experience in that or second experience i guess but because of its proximity to mediterranean middle eastern culture it it felt a lot more similar like when you read you know mm-hmm. the the person who says lord what should i do can i can i go and i bury my my father first the, the pains that he was dealing with, a Central Asian would have dealt with, and what that would have entailed versus my American Texan, albeit we know that Texas culture is heavenly culture. Um, mm-hmm. that, 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 I mean, it it really was. It, it, it came alive for us, uh, or it came alive for me in those days as well.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my, Michael, where did you grow up?
2: Texas, in Houston.
1: Houston, I huh, too. Houston guys,
2: wow. Yeah. yeah, I'm
1: from I'm from Midland, so. I know a little bit, a little bit about Houston.
0: Michael, can I, can I, so because I know a lot about you, can you, before you became a believer, which was in high school, I think you've told me this before, you never actually had finished a a whole entire book. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. I got all the way through 12 years of school with reading just enough to, to get by with everything.
0: And you yeah. are one of the most vociferous readers I have ever met. Do you, do you attribute that to God awakening something in you? Do you, like, how do you, how do you think that that changed? Yeah. I don't
2: think I would have articulated it this way when I first believe. And now looking back, I, I think I kind of, uh, once I became a Christian, I think I slowly started to realize, okay, if God is the creator of all that is, basically understanding that is kind of like being on God's playground. I mean, it's just fun. Um, so everything kind of opened up is, is kind of a, a way to see like, Oh, interesting. Why would God have put this in the world or why would God have created things like this? Um, so I think that's a, that's a lot of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, even, even it's funny when I first believed I was, 17 and it wasn't until my freshman year in college someone told me that there were things called commentaries on the books of the bible and that just blew me away Mm -hmm. it's like whoa someone has written a book on what Ephesians means I mean (laughs) I just I had never heard of anything like it Uh,
0: and now now there there is much exhaustion in the books that are written yet (laughs) we still have not exhausted the bible itself
2: now there's I realize there's like 30 different Commentaries on Ephesians written a month, yeah. You
0: know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. How? How? Uh, so this is a little bit about I think where we want to go today. But how? In all of your learning overseas, you talked about, you know, you've you've changed, you've gotten to see and understand God in different ways. But one of the tasks, if not the most important task of the missionary, um, is evangelism first and foremost how has your view of evangelism changed from those first days we went on a summer mission trip together to Mm -hmm. now sitting in cafes in Stockholm, Sweden, sharing with, uh, sharing with, with students when coronavirus isn't around.
2: Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, so I'll
0: answer it this way. I, I think
2: I slowly started about maybe three years ago, realizing that, um, when most Christians and this including myself back then thought of evangelism, we primarily were concerned with skill sets like okay, what do I need to do to be a good evangelist like what tools can I have what strategies um, but then I started to think a little bit about uh, paul's life in scripture, and especially uh, in second Corinthians chapter four, he talks about um, you know, there's this treasure, but that treasure is found in these very fragile pots or clays. And then later he says, he has this interesting metaphor that he talks about himself and those that are doing ministry with him that we die daily so that you can have life. Mm-hmm. And so I think what Paul's doing there is he's using a metaphor of the cross as a way to describe his ministry. He's basically saying, look, I die so that those can have life, others can have life. So I started to think, you know, evangelism should, we probably should start with not what skills are needed, but what does the character or attitude need to be of the evangelist? Um, And I think it's selflessness. And I think if one thing I've learned is if someone can be uh, modeling Philippians 2, you know, um, modeling the crucifixion and, and, dying to themselves so others can have life one evangelism is a lot more fun but two it actually puts you in a position where the people who you are talking to uh, will actually listen and and you can have great interactions Um, and i think for us today uh you know for paul he probably in that that idea had a little bit of um it's probably being a little bit more uh what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, for him, death was a real possibility.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, he was being persecuted
2: for us. Most of us don't have to deal with that. So I think for us, like one way we die to ourselves is we just listen really well. And I think as Christians, unfortunately, um, we use listening as a strategy. It's it's a way to kind Mm -hmm. of get our points in instead of just really listening. So every year we have people come over on vision trips and summer mission and I'll often tell them like their biggest asset is ignorance because you can just sit down with someone and learn about them. You you don't have to, un, you don't have to have the right answers. You don't have to know why they think what they think. Cause that's part of listening. Well, if someone says, Hey, I don't think God exists literally being like, Oh, Hey, what, like, what does that feel like for you? What does that mean? Um, how long have you thought that? I think too often it's Christians with when we think of evangelism, we think, okay, like, I have to have that perfect response that's going to allow me to show the gospel instead of just realizing that, hey, as an evangelist, I mean, as an evangelist, it's not about me right now. It's about dying to myself so this other person can have life. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, you need to share the gospel. I'm not saying you don't, but just more of an attitude and disposition of, of what an evangelist is, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I've got – that's really, really uh... – I, th- I think what you said there, I mean, in some ways, is very groundbreaking, probably for a, a lot of us, particularly, you know, coming from evangelical church or Western church. But, but, but three things popped into my mind. What, one was Matthew 9, where you have Jesus. He's, uh, he's out. Uh, gosh, I'm going to butcher this. But, you know, he says, you know, an, uh, uh, he was, you know, Jesus went from town to town announcing the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, he was preaching, teaching and healing. And then he's, it says something along the lines of, you know, he had compassion upon the, the masses because they were sheep without a shepherd. And then, you know, compassion, there's a really interesting word there in the Greek about what, what that really means and what it meant for Jesus. And we'll get to that. But uh, if, you know, if you want to look at that and look at do a word study of compassion in the new Testament, it's very fascinating. But, but what you have there is this idea that he preached the good news out of compassion Uh out of compassion for people who were, were lost. Right. So there has to be, I think you're, you're, you're hitting on something very important there. There has to be a, a, an element of compassion for the person we're talking to. It's not just a number of person. Uh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's disembodied kind of thing mm-hmm. that's going on. It's, it's a real person. And, and I think this is particularly acute in Europe. So that'd be kind of a second point I would draw. That was in Europe we where I think some of the assumptions we come in with are kind of, grounded in stuff that happens in, in the world of where there's a lot of religions and a lot of people make the assumption that it is good to hear about other religions in some sense. Right. Or I, if I believe this, well, if, if there's something better, I want to hear it. But in Europe, we're dealing with people who it's just indifference. They don't, they don't care. They're not mm-hmm. looking for the next thing it, we it's, there's very much a sense of I've been there and I've done that. Uh, so or we've done that as a, as a culture and a society. So why would I, why would I care? So there's this huge indifference. So that really creates a tension for us as people sharing the good news uh, because the assumptions are different. In fact, and sometimes the assumptions are you trying to tell me is propaganda or it's violence against me. It's, you're trying to manipulate me as opposed to, mm-hmm. so, so I think that's forced us to be more, to think deeply about evangelism. And then I would say, I remember there was a crew study, it's probably quite old now, but they I think it was in the old mid-Atlantic, now that we don't have those regions anymore. I think it was mid-Atlantic. They did a study of people who had become Christians. And it was something like, you know, only a handful of people were just total randoms that people who had just walked up to and gone, hey, do you want to hear about Jesus? And that God can do that. God does. But the vast majority of people already had a believer in their life, Christian in their life that, was, that, was, that they saw. And, uh, and they said, well, that's interesting. That person's different or who is praying for them or could have been a family member, could have been a fellow student. Um, but so there's something about that authenticity that we have to, I think, you know, I don't like the word authenticity because often that sounds like, you know, it's kind of the, the buzzword, Got to be authentic, but the sense of people sense that we care for them, that we're there sharing the gospel and it's hard. It's not an easy thing to do, but we're, we're not just trying to get information across. We're not just trying to, uh, you know, or trying to trick people or, but we are really, it's, it's, it's about how we see them and how we want to love and serve them. So I think, I think what you just said was, was, was phenomenal. It had me going down a million rabbit trails in my mind. Yeah.
2: And I think it's even a little bit more profound in the sense that, um, I think if we don't kind of have this mindset of evangelism is dying to ourselves to bring life to, yeah, life to others, that, what we easily can do is fall into this trap where we have a goal and this, the goal is a beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with it, but the goal is to see people come to know Christ. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, okay, how are we going to get there? And so we create a strategy. And then all of a sudden people become an instrument for a goal. And then because we are all fallen, uh, people, it's easy also to see that if you're not seeing evangelism as a selfless act, you kind of are validating your worth by achieving that goal instead of it being about from the beginning to end. It's not about me. It's about, it's about God and then who he's created. Yeah. You know, but it is hard. I mean, there's always that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot going on.
0: On some level, if you're, if you're coming to it with the, if you're coming to it, trying to fulfill the goal, it doesn't become ministry. It becomes, it becomes manipulation, right? On some level. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't use it because God, none of our efforts, no matter how pure in and of ourselves are, are, are tainted, but it does become, I, I know that with myself, I have to really fight um, argumentation and manipulation when I interact with people. Um, and so uh, turning that curious Kind of, as you said, Michael, your your best asset is your ignorance. Um, I think that I think that that's very true. What then, though, are we to do? We're okay. All three of us are products of the American Church. We work for the same organization. Uh, we more or less run around in the same circles. What are we to do when? What I'll, what I'll say is our culture, and I don't mean that as American culture, although it does apply. I think just the the missionary milieu that we uh, that we operate in does have that critical path step strategic strategery line that we're trying to follow in order to produce the quote unquote goals that all nations would hear and many people would believe and disciples would be made. How do you, how do you balance that out? How do you, you, you do you get what I'm saying? I, I think this is because I agree with you a hundred percent. I, I, but I think it's hard because we've always grown up thinking, well, we, we want to be quote unquote good stewards and we want to be strategic. We, those are, those are valuable words in the circles we we find ourselves in. So how do you do that? But is it, well, yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> my well, not, thoughts. Not, not,
2: not just my first thought is, I, I guess you can have the strategy and goals that have the proper mindset that the whole purpose of this is to serve the people. You know, if you just have, I mean, that's mm. that's very basic, but, um, you know, so there's this.
0: Which I think is something uh, that you, you and I have talked a lot about this. I think, I think even though we were young and probably did things a lot, more terribly <laughs> that so less professionally I, I think when we were young and we first landed in our first assignment I know for me I cared a lot more about the people you know like I remember coming home and, and you and I would have conversations in our living room freezing in, in Central Asia in midwinter having just spent hours outside in a, a tea house where my tea froze um and just gutted for the students that we were talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of that probably had some manipulation in it, but I think it was no. I, w- I just want people to know about Jesus. I think, I, to be honest, I think I, that's easy for me to lose because of the cares of this world, right? So, mm-hmm.
2: sorry, I cut yeah. you off. No, I am just gonna say, like, I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's a, there's a. I mean, there can be tension with strategy and. Uh, being selfless but I don't necessarily know if, if there is so like I really like this uh when I think of ministry a lot of people I'm sure haven't if, if they hear the word evangelism or ministry uh they kind of have an image in their head um but for me it's Plutarch had a an essay that he wrote about the seven sages and the dinner and and part of the story is you know the sages are all going to meet for dinner and someone says you know what are what are the responsibilities of everyone involved and one of the sages says, hey, for the host needs to have good wine and good food. And uh, then someone else says, you know, the guests, they're responsible for two things. Like they need to be good listeners and they need to be informed and be able to articulate well what they think. Um, and I, I kind of see that as a, as, a, as a good way of thinking of ministry. But, you know, as Christians, I think we can even say when we're thinking about being informed and being able to articulate what we think, even that's a selfless act. You know, it's not so that someone can walk away and say, "Wow, that Christian really knows how to explain the gospel well." Yeah. I think it's, "Hey, I'm going to take time and I'm going to study this and I'm going to I'm going to practice this and I'm going to research this as a way to love people, um, because it's loving for them to be able to interact with this and for them to do that. I, I'm going to have to be able to like clearly state what I believe. Um, but like, I, it's, it's, it's hard sometimes to think of it that way,
1: you know? I, that's, yeah, I I think if, if I can be a little, you know, contrarian here, you know, we, we obviously, it's interesting to think about when did we have these mass strategies or big strategies or build strategy into, we've talked about this before Barrett, but into our ministry, right? I mean, there's probably an interesting study there or some research to be done. Um, It feels like it's new. I mean, there may have been at some point, you know, in the Catholic church when they were, you know, going out all over the world that they had some kind of, you know, way of measuring and casting vision, you know Uh, I mean, certainly they're casting vision. I don't know if they had, you know, used numbers a lot um, maybe, but I, 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 I think it's interesting to think about when did we make that shift as a, as a global church to numbers um, I, on one hand, it, it, to me, one reason I sometimes balk at numbers is it seems very much the need to raise funds, which is, is the world we're in. But then the question then becomes, you know, who's wagging the dog? Who's who's what? What is the the driving? Uh, and and I'm saying this, you know, I'll just say this. We sometimes throw out ideas that I don't necessarily agree with, and I'm so I, so so no one don't get too mad here, uh, but. But I think there are ideas we need to put on the table and, and look at and really think through and and struggle with, uh, especially when we're talking about reaching the world uh, for Christ. But so, so sometimes it feels like I, myself in the way I see churches and crew even move is like it's the it's the need to get to numbers that drives the strategy, as opposed to what really should be the hard attitude that probably drives drives the strategy. And so, so it's interesting to me because you know if you think about probably some of the great movements. Uh, in, in the world today or in the past, most of them didn't really have strategies. I mean, eventually they probably developed them. But you, you think of what has happened, you know, potentially in, in Pentecostalism, particularly in South America, Africa, you know, they didn't strategize that, you know, poor single mothers in the favelas were going to embrace the gospel and then just start sharing the gospel, you know, and and, and then eventually Brazil would become a country that's about, Third twenty thirty percent evangelical, that was not that was not any anyone was not looking at that as a as a viable strategy. Uh, so 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 that's where I get attention. Obviously, we live in a different world. We're all college educated. We work for an organization that you know prides itself on a certain level of business kind of uh, leadership acumen. So those aren't sort of things aren't necessarily bad. But I just I think for me it's it's a challenge. Where in in the American church particularly. I think it's a big challenge for the American church or churches or cultures that tend to lean towards that strategy as a, as a cultural value or numbers as a cultural value or accomplishing as a cultural value. Whereas maybe in other cultures where it's, we just go do it. And, and, and we, and we're more focused on who we are, our identity and, and, and less on what we're going to get out of it. But I I don't know. That's, I I, I don't, I think there's a
0: question. There's a, there's a guy I'm forgetting his name now. He's a Christian writer, does some really good research on his own. He's not a PhD or anything, but just does some good research. And I, have, I'm, I can't remember exactly uh, where I, I must've heard him on a podcast somewhere, but he was talking in reference to the idea of the word goals that doesn't come in actually in writings. So using the library of Congress and Google scholar and different stuff. Yeah. He did research on the word goals and it doesn't come in until the progressive era. And then you can cross-reference that with Christian writings, and you can see when it comes into Christian writing. And it's actually a very new idea uh, that the goals. So it's around the turn of the century in 1900. Um, again, I don't necessarily think there's, in and of itself, I think, or yeah. Michael, if I understand what you're saying I and mean, your your thought on this, it's not that there's necessarily something wrong with goals per se, but rather that evangelism, the 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 activity or the process of evangelism. Is best served, and at the end of the day, is something that must and should be a selfless act. Um, goals notwithstanding. So, whether you're making goals or you're not making goals, the important thing is is that is that in order to minister Christ and make Him known, the most effective way of doing that is making it a selfless act. Is is that? Yeah, and I think, I think maybe. Saying?
2: and maybe I'm thinking more on, on macro here, but I, I think it's just the mindset. So like a few examples, again, uh, if you're with a friend or it could be someone you're sitting next to on an airplane, you don't know, and th- they're really interested in dog shows, right? And you have no interest in a dog show. Maybe the most selfless thing you can do is, enter into their world and talk about dogs and let them share their joys and what they like, um, and not see it as like, well, that doesn't interest me. I'm going to move on. Um, or like I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, I, I think it's just a different mindset of thinking, um, Hey, I'm going to sit down and think about, uh, how I would explain the Trinity to a Muslim. Because I want to love and be selfless towards Muslims, well, that's different than, hey, I want to learn this so I have a good argument, yeah, or I don't look stupid, right? Uh, You know, so I think it's more of a, an attitude, and then the implications of that. I mean, we can talk about, but um, I would say though to to kind of go off a few things you all said, the current model of being really strategic in goals, I, I I don't. I do think that it the gravity is towards uh forgetting that it is yeah. evangelism is a is dying to yourself to give other people life yeah and that's what, how part,
0: parse that parse that parts that out more more Michael
2: I just think it's it's once you get in that system um, of of thinking of strategy and goals like it's like you have to constantly remind yourself, okay, these people I'm interacting with, they're not instruments in a strategy. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So,
0: so it it, it requires a heck of a lot of self-reflection of care in going slow in order to combat that, uh, one cannot simply be carried along, uh, and then, and then I think I, I, self-reflection, I think is, is incredibly important because I think the only, you have to constantly going now, why did I just ask that person about dog shows? Is it because I really care about this person or I want to show care to this person? Or is it because I think that this is my best way to, uh, for them to open up the door enough for me to rush in with my, with my my gospel tract. If you're not
2: careful, you can turn, uh, dying to yourself so others can have life into a strategy.
0: Right. You know, like this is
2: this is how it's just but I Which which to be
0: honest, I think I I remember one time in particular, uh, when I was on a summer mission in college walking around this lake and I had hung out with these guys for like five or seven hours. It was interminable. And, uh, the conversation wasn't going spiritual. Right. And I wanted to make the most of my time. And so I just decided whatever the next topic of conversation was, I was, I was jamming the gospel into it <laughs> and I did. And I, 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 those guys were not impressed with me. Um, and so, <laughs> so I, th- I think that for, in, in that case, I, 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 I made that mistake. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the hardest thing to do, though, in, in, as a believer in the exercise of evangelism is to actually develop care and selfless love for people. Because it, it, even, even if you're like, but I want to tell people about the gospel or I want to tell people about Jesus and that has good intentions, but it's, it's a very difficult thing to, to actually do.
2: Yeah. And I mean, Paul had a strategy, it seems like, you know, he'd go to, he'd go to a city and go to the synagogues and it kind of seems like he would interact with them until either he got kicked out or he, he felt like, okay, there's enough going on there. And he'd go to the Gentiles. Um, he talks about the end of Romans, like uh, he doesn't want to lay a foundation where Christ has already been laid. So there are certain regions he went to and he didn't go to others. So Uh, it's, it it can't be this whole, this so loose thing where it's just like, Hey, you just got to go out there and just care about people. I mean, I guess that's kind of what I was trying to say. Like, I don't, I don't think that there's the main conflict in my mind is not between strategy and selfless, uh, evangelism. I think it's just that when you, when your strategy becomes, you know, like the predominant narrative in ministry mm-hmm. it takes a lot of his parents self-reflection and thought to realize okay what's the purpose of this strategy yeah it's not to accomplish our goal for the sake of the goal it's because hey there are a lot of people out there that we care about
1: well and, and i think that's a great point because what we're talking about this goes back to steve addison's book which we we referenced uh is i, I think when movements get started you're, you usually don't strategize a movement that I think that's maybe my point. Like Paul probably started, they started, or even, you know, the, the Favola women eventually are going to put together a strategy because it, as you, as you coalesce, you form, you do need to start having some order and structure and some goals and say, Hey, well, we're doing really good here. Maybe we should go to the next town or, you know, and so right then you, right, you, you start forming strategies. I think for a lot of American organizations who started that way, we're now in this cycle of, where, where sometimes strategy is the defining defining motive mm-hmm. of what we're doing as opposed to what originally started out was a guy and his wife going, I really want to share the gospel with college students at, US, at UCLA, right? And who just went and started doing that, and then God blessed it, and then it grew into something, you know, incredible, amazing, you know. Uh, it, you It know, grew into the apple of evangelical Christianity, basically, if you want to order the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but now, you know, but now –
0: Delivering the gospel with drones. That's what we're all about.
1: (laughs) Right. But now we've, we, maybe we, it's it's that point. We need to go back to that. What was the core of that? The core was, gosh, I care about university students enough to quit my job, go across town and spend time with university students. Uh, you know, that, that shows real compassion, real dying to self, uh, in, in a lot of ways, um, so, so I wonder if that there's, there's, there's interplay there, because I would agree with you, too. Like, strategy is important, but it, it, it's, it's a real fine line between strategy and numbers becoming the the tail that wags the dog, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know it's,
0: you, you know, what's interesting about all this is that, so there, there, there's been a lot of discussion about, uh, relevance, uh, you know, making the gospel relevant or presentation relevant. Uh, there's lots of discussions about what's the right way. What are the right analogies? Those seem to be arguments about tools. Um, it seems to me that which are good tools are necessary. I don't ever want to go and try to make a marble countertop without a tool in my hand, right? You need special design tools in order to do things, but, but it does seem to me that that having an attitude of a selfless act allows you to be able to along the way discover what new tools you need to develop versus going and all of a sudden realizing wait a second the tools the tools that I have don't work because uh, I think that's actually some of the things that we face particularly here in Western Europe I mean we we've Michael you and I have discussed this at length but um, you know. There's been there's been lots of discussion about COVID 19 and you know some general excitement not excitement but prayer that <laughs> prayer that God would use this to awaken Europe uh, but you and I have talked about that here in here in Sweden one of the difficulties is um, just like in India there's not a lot of people necessarily who have grown up in a Buddhist or a Hindu culture who have never thought about Jesus waking up to COVID 19 and going. I wonder what Jesus has to say about all this. What is it? It just doesn't enter their worldview. And one of the problems that we have here in Sweden is that it often thinking about spiritual things on this level doesn't necessarily enter people's minds. So then to walk up with someone with a tool that says Jesus loves you and he died for your sins isn't exactly the starting point that someone needs so you can equip people with now the story that part of the gospel is absolutely necessary for someone to come to jesus christ but the reality is is sometimes starting out with that tool is the wrong tool if that's the only thing you have in your back pocket and so Curiosity, getting to know a person, a selfless act actually allows you to discover, okay, what is the tool that would be necessary here without making it a, just a, I don't know, that makes it sound like I'm, I'm making a, again, a rote, a rote activity and that's, and that's not it, but it does, it does allow for that. So you're engaged in a different way, I think is my point.
2: Yeah. And I, I read somewhere, I don't remember where it was, but that in any company or organization, like if you want to know what is valued, see what is praised. Mm -hmm. So I I mean, I think if you look at our organization uh, and what is praised, it's normally skill sets and strategic thinking.
0: Yeah. Yep. Um, Right. Right.
2: But, but, you know, again, there is some tension. I don't, I don't want to throw it all out and say, uh, it's, it's bad. I think context says a lot. I mean, I remember when I was in East Asia, I mean, we had very, um, like precise strategy and a lot of people came to know Christ. And I don't, it's not that I feel like we weren't valuing the people, but in that context it allowed for it. And I think there's other, there's other countries that whether it's closed or where people are at, um, with their worldview. I mean, you just can't walk on campus and say, we're only going to talk to freshmen, uh, or we're only going to, uh, have an event or whatever. Um, so, I mean, even there, I think there's an example, like if you're thinking, okay, like, how can we care best about care for these people? Like what would, what would help them to, uh, interact with the gospel in a way that they could understand it in a way that makes them feel, Uh, comfortable, you know, but I mean, I'll just throw this out and then get your thoughts. But another thing uh, I've been thinking a lot about too is, um, you know, one way as Christians that, and this is, this is something I've started to really think about. Um, One way we die to ourselves to give and allow others to have life in evangelism is that we take on the insecurity and we take on the vulnerability and, uh, allow them to remain in a, in a, a secure mm-hmm. place. But often it's the reverse. Often we like to invite them to things that we control or that we, um, are secure in. And, uh, mm-hmm. whether that's inviting people to church or a Bible study or an event, it's, it's I think there needs, we need to be a lot more willing, you know, you meet a student in Stockholm and, you say, hey, next time you have some guys who are watching a movie I'd love to join you uh, you know that's his secure place that's right. he's with right. his friends
0: right you're um, entering you're entering his world yeah but Garrick and I were actually going back with this back and forth with this yesterday talking about we actually may even do just a complete whole episode on the reality that that as believers uh well and then Michael, I think you and I actually were going back and forth a little bit about this too but the the idea of the gospel. Uh, works best from the margins and that when we sit in these positions of let's say majority or power and we're inviting someone into something although I would argue it's good for non-believers to see the Christian community because hopefully it's different Uh, I get what you're saying it's stepping into a person's world in some sense is is the incarnational activity right Um, you know I I, I, yeah, I think, I think that's totally, totally the case. And I think that's been highlighted for me. I think it, I think it gets highlighted more so in Europe than anywhere else that I know of, because as an American, at least for an American missionary or a Western missionary uh, like I remember the day when I was in Central Asia, a girl came up to me shaking on the street like I was a rock star because she had never seen an American before. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I think about that a lot because, as much as I would like to have that happen in Sweden, no one has ever done that. <laughs> but but there's that sense of my my cool factor has been taken away, and all I have is entering into people's lives as they a, already
1: they already have Sladen.
0: They don't need anything. <laughs> That's right. What else do we need? We have Zlatan Ibrahimovic. <laughs> yeah. God God's gift to humanity, right there. <laughs> yeah, basically. So I think you're I think you're onto something there, Michael. Yeah. Garrett, do you but even, even,
2: that? Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in later. No,
0: j- jump in, Michael. Jump I was going to say, even,
2: e- even in Central Asia, I think as I reflect on my time, uh, I always enjoyed having students over more than going to their place. Why? Because I lost control. I didn't choose what we were going to eat. Right. I didn't choose like how long the meal would last. You're vulnerable when you go to someone's house, but I think – that that's a good thing. And it's good too, because like, they're in a position of security. I mean, um, yeah. So even, I mean, yeah, I think, I think in every area there's, it's, it's easy to kind of just be in your little area that feels comfortable and want people to come to you. So I'm sure you've heard the story. I don't know if it's a, it's, if it's a legend now, or if it's true or parts of it true, but there's this pastor in the Northeast in America that couldn't get anyone to come to his church and people. So he decided to start going to a bar. And he kind of joined a group of guys um, and said, hey, do you mind if I sit down? And they're like, sure, this is a little awkward. And he told them, he's like, hey, I'm a pastor, but I'm just here for one thing. And I have a question for you. And I want you to be very honest with me. And he asked them, he said, what don't you like about the church? Or what don't you like about Christians? And he said after about three or four hours, like guys were being vulnerable talking. And then he he kept going back. And a lot of those guys became Christians. Yeah. But I just think that's that's a good that's a good idea like illustration of like he, he decided, like, hey, I'm gonna go to where they're secure. He didn't just invite them to church, you know.
1: Yeah. Well that's I mean, so that right then there's the incarnational principle, uh, which you see, you know, in Christ in, in- in coming to, to to earth, coming to earth, it sounds like alien thing, but, but, but it's you know, <laughs> becoming, taking on human flesh and walking becoming amongst beings. us. <laughs> but, 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 so I would just say, you know, uh, Alan Hirsch in forgotten ways. He has that kind of incarnational. This is a, I mean, this is, we're starting to get a really good missional theology right here. Uh, but Al, Alan Hirsch, he has the f- like five or six P's, right. You know, of, of incarnational missional mystery. And one of them is powerlessness that you come in powerlessness and, and, and because Christ came powerless, he came as a, as a child, a baby, and then a carpenter. And he, he was not in, he was not, I mean, I think at times, obviously Jesus knew how, when I wouldn't say be intimidating, but to be a force, right. To be someone who stood out, but he, but he, by and large he came, he, he went to the cross. And so we're getting back to, to, I think what we need to call this is Michael's uh Theology of evan- of the cr- how do you how do you put that together? There's theology of the cross, but theology of evangelistic cross, the cross and evangelism, something like that. But you're you're, you're working on something really. There's really a working good. title here. The working title. Um, but but I think that's it. The, the the sense of powerlessness of, uh, you know, is 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 really is really key. And when I think what you can probably do a study throughout missions history, and when you've had missionaries who generally came to serve and powerlessness uh, to flip the switch on the do- dominant narrative of, of whatever people perceive the church or perceive a certain culture to be that, that makes, that makes a change. All and right, I two. think when Paul, when Paul was
2: writing 1 Corinthians, like he literally felt powerless a lot. Right. Like I, I, I heard the other day that uh, someone commented when they had um, the council of Nicaea, all these bishops that came, like, had scars, broken bones. I mean, it, this is before like Constantine allowed, had it. This is, this is the, the religion of the Roman Empire. Like they all had, they had no power. But the contrast is like once, you know, Constantine kind of made his edict, all of a sudden the church was like one of the richest institutions, you know. Yeah. So uh, going in our context, I think this is where you're kind of getting at, Barrett. Like when we're in Central Asia or other places, we, we, we have a lot of power. Yep. Uh, you come to by, Sweden by
0: virtue of a passport
2: yeah, you come to Sweden, you yeah, don't buddy. have a lot of power no nope. you know? um,
0: so you have a lot of rights, but you don't have any much power mm-hmm. uh, power by virtue of our passport, but we politically we had none there were police officers, people would listen in on our phone calls, we had to use code language, different stuff like that because of the police state but uh, by virtue of our culture, people were naturally attracted because of exoticness or whatever else for right or wrong. In Sweden, we have the, kind of the opposite. We have uh, we have a situation in which we have a lot of political power in the sense that I actually, because of how long I've lived here, can vote in local elections. Um, I have rights as a person who holds uh, residency here, all sorts of things. And Sweden's very, uh, giving of those at the same time though, uh, spiritually I lack almost no power. I lack zero, very little leverage. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that, I think that's a fascinating thought. So here is my, we're, we're going to close up here. So I'm going to throw out something that's way too big for us to finish up with, but that's what I like to do. Why is it then this is something I've been thinking a lot about this week why is it then if we do our best work from the margins and historically that seems to be the so i'm not saying we should seek to be on the margins but why do we seek to cling to power so much like we we're ready to die on the hills of things that we might be losing power for when the gospel itself says become like jesus who Existed, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be mm-hmm. grasped, but instead gave of Himself. Philippians chapter two five through eleven. That doesn't seem to be the gospel that we live. It is the gospel we preach, but it is not the gospel we live. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? Am I wrong in that? I think.
1: I, well, I, I I I wholeheartedly agree, and, and but I think there's a caveat there that makes life in late modern. Uh, western society is difficult is that is that we are democracies and so and so there is a there is a uh, whereas you you so maybe you had uh, after constantine you had theocracies where unfortunately that was very very negative in the sense of controlling the church became the controlling dimension of society which is where you don't want to be church had all the power but we're living in democracies now so I'm not, I'm not quibbling with you, but I, I think it's the, it's the big question. Yeah, there's,
0: there's a difference. Yeah.
1: There's a difference in that. So what does it mean to be a church that then says, we really feel that this issue is important and it's a, it's a, it's a servicial issue and we want to be a part of that. And other churches go, no, 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 no. We think this is the issue. And then you get into relation to power. So, I mean, I, I think it's an incredibly tricky, tricky question. I think it, being in a democracy where you, the expectation is that you participate in the democracy as opposed as opposed and i'm not against democracy but i think that makes this a very sticky question for us as we think about it i i I, and i think it takes greater discipline to remove ourselves from the connections to power uh or our sense of needing to fight for power because it gets wrapped up in a lot more stuff um with that said there i I think you're dead on i think that's the kind of church we need to be that removes ourselves uh and, and identifies in the margins more. Michael, last words.
2: Yeah. Uh, my first thought is I, I
1: think a lot
2: of people, their gut, if you ask them would say the more power the church can have, the better, because then there's more influence in the world. Yeah. But I think this is where we need to rethink theologically. Um the incarnation and the cross and how does change actually happen and specifically real long-term change. Um, I mean, you could, you could have a movement where, uh, you know, someone dictates from a government legislates, legislates something or something. And it's like, Oh, okay. There might be a temporary quote unquote victory, but, um, it, it doesn't seem that is really going to bring about, the change that we want as Christians.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's where I, I think that's where I'm I'm, I'm beginning to land these days. It's, it's not that I don't want to as a participate in the democratic process or, or even try to make it for as easy as possible for for someone to be involved with the church or for society to reflect, you know, Christian values or any number of given things. But I do think we need to rethink. I was listening to two uh, more or less sermons the other day by a couple African American pastors. And one of them was kind of talking about this. They're kind of talking about similar issues, but one of them was talking about really Philippians chapter two. And the other was talking about, you know, why you're in the position of power you're in. And neither were wrong but one was definitely more self-aggrandizing than the other. And I think I would have bought into the one that was more self-aggrandizing more recently or up until recently rather. And now I'm I'm starting to rethink that. So I'm in, I'm in a little bit of process, but I think I think it is a I can't get away from Philippians chapter 2.
1: No and and, and obviously in this uh podcast we can't get away from uh Peter saying we're exiles.
0: Right.
1: Uh, I would recommend a great, a great book by a great thinker. She actually spoke at our ALG recently. Uh, is that what we call it these days?
0: All the leadership, ALG. all leader gathering. All you know? gather,
1: I, for a while I was calling it like the GLS or the or a, the LAG or something. Or people were always saying, I was like, what is a,
0: that? ALG in, in Swedish, although you need to know them, or the two dots over the A, but ALG in Swedish means moose. So every time I see that, I'm like the moose gathering. Anyway, <laughs> the moose. Well, a, a great
1: book I'd, I'd highly recommend to people. This is more talking about leadership, but it gets into this dynamic of power, uh, you know, incarnation. What we do with our power, uh, and it's called "Making Room for Leadership: Power, Space, and Influence" hmm. by, by Mary Kate Morse, who's a professor at a Portland Seminary. But it's a, it's an incredible book because it it forces us to think about about these dynamics that you're talking about on a political and a societal level, and she's talking about more in an organizational and how we as we as leaders, how we do we allow people and what kind of leader are we? Do we allow people into our vulnerability do we allow people the space to explore um do we make room for others is that that's the big question and so i I think that's that may be where we're going to in this bigger conversation is if we are churches in the west that have a lot of power a lot of money a lot of influence how how do we really use that in in a christian sense um and and we need to be probably thinking about it a lot more at least at the very least and i don't think we think about it as much maybe you know more recently in the younger generation, I think as as we're Gen X guys, we're kind of like, eh, power, whatever. You know, Just like, <laughs> you know, we kind of walk off into the sunset and go, yeah, screw it all. Uh, but, but you know, there's generations below us and above us that have different perspectives of those things as well. What's yeah. the biblical, what's the biblical way to look at that?
0: Michael, if, if you had, so you entered Sweden five ish years ago, mm-hmm. if you, If you had to do it all over again, what what would you tell yourself coming in about life and ministry in Sweden that you thought was one of the most important things you needed to know, in contradistinction to the ministry you had done, which was in primary Muslim contexts?
2: So, are you asking like if I could like what 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 would I've done differently, or what?
0: Yeah, I mean, what, what would you have done differently, or? What what do you think would have been good for you to know? So other other than oh, other than man. your boss is terrible. <laughs>
2: no, you're a great boss, Barrett. Uh fishing for that. I know. Uh I think well, I don't really know. I mean, obviously I knew Sweden would be very, very different. Um but um I don't. I think. I think I did do this early on, but I think coming in and embracing the fact that I'm no longer a celebrity and I no longer have power. I think it, instead of feeling frustrated and at first and being like, "Hey, this is actually a healthy thing." Mm-hmm. Now, now the hard part about Sweden though is, um, and you know this well, Barrett. It's it's not. It's it's just hard to kind of get any response, right? So it's not. Um, I don't think the issue is we're we're operating out of a position of of dominance or anything. <laughs> you know, it's right, just. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think just embrace um, the beauty and being in a place where uh, you don't really have anything that's attractive to people. You know, um, so in that sense, I think we are jars of clay here it's a little different than what paul experienced right but i mean um what we have to offer to people most people here think uh it's it's not really worth thinking about or talking about um so that and and i think on on a very practical thing though i think if i could redo my time in sweden I think I would have tried to find very concrete ways of just serving people. Like before, we had kids, going to going to certain people in the community and saying, "Hey, we'd love to babysit." Um, Just do more practical things like that. Um, So,
0: cool, Michael Meditall, you have enlightened us. Oh, it's fun. We appreciate your time, man. Uh, you, need to, you need to work on the title. It's the theology. How do you get
1: cross? Cruciform evangelism. There you go. Cruciform evangelism. There you go, you know, there go Metatol. There's a PhD your, for everybody. You, there's your book title. There's your book title.
2: There's actually a book that was written by a guy named Gorman called Becoming the Gospel and kind of talks about that. How uh-huh. he, his idea, it's really, it's really good. He has this idea that Paul wanted the churches not only to share the gospel verbally, but to model it. So if people interact with these Christians, once they heard the gospel, they'd be like, hey, I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen sacrificial living. I've seen you care for people that it's pure grace. They can't give you anything back. Um, so anyways, yeah. So cruciform evangelism. There we go. There you there go.
0: You go. <laughs> we, 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 have, we have achieved much I today. Knew there We've a- reached our goals. <laughs> Well, Michael, thanks for, uh, thanks for being my friend these many 20 years. Thanks for uh, going all over the world with me. It is a pleasure to be uh, on the same team as you. <laughs> and we uh, really appreciate your time, buddy. Say hi to your lovely wife, and uh, we'll, we'll catch you at the next thing, okay? Yeah, good bye. talking to you. Yeah. Adios. Right, bye